Let's get into this. This they lied to you. The three most asked questions about Christmas onset. The three most asked questions about Christmas onset. I wanted to get into the authenticity and the credibility of Scripture first, because before we get into these questions, I have to answer these questions with citing outside sources a little bit. So I want to make and make sure that the Word of God is our is our um, final authority, is our sure foundation. And we're not going to be long with you today. We started at 8 a.m. We're going to be finished half past nine, quarter to ten. We're going to aim to be finishing by that time. And uh, guys, tomorrow morning, as just while I have you on tomorrow morning, uh, my wife will be at Krugersdorp, 8 a.m. for the Christmas service at Krugersdorp. I will be in Centurion, 8 a.m. for the Christmas service there. Don't miss any of those services. It is going to be powerful. Invite your friends, invite your family. We're giving out tomorrow, hey? We're giving out vouchers or cash or food or what, what are we? Vouchers and cash and stuff like that. So we're going to give to anyone that is in need tomorrow anyone that is in need tomorrow at our campuses as much as possible as far as we can if you and this will be primarily first first for the encounter members and thereafter for visitors okay um it's just that's our procedure that is our protocol but um uh, uh but uh you know tomorrow come and you will be fed you will receive something so that you can have food and a festive time with your family in Christmas. So, um, uh, uh, guys, I want to tell you this. During the message, I'm going to take up the offering. Okay, during the message, when I feel it is the right time to take up the offering, I'm going to take up the offering during the message so um, so that I don't forget about it. But um, uh, my wife will be there tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. at Krugersdorp. I will be at Centurion, 8 a.m. And it is going to be amazing. Uh, next year, we'll turn around. I'll be there at Krugersdorp. She'll be at Centurion. It's going to be amazing. Um, it is going to be really incredible. Uh, invite your friends and family. So let's get to the authenticity of scripture the credibility of scripture 2 timothy 3 verse 16 2 timothy 3 verse 16 says all scripture is given by inspiration of god all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction and in righteousness that the man of god may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work. Colossians 2 verse 16 says, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon, a celebration of a Sabbath. These are shadow of things to come that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I want to read that out of the message version. It says, So don't put up with anyone pressuring you in details of diet, worship services, or holy days. All those things are mere shadows cast before what was to come. The substance is Christ. The substance is Christ. Always keep listening. As we go out through this whole Christmas debacle, is the tree evil? Is the date evil? Is Santa evil? Is this good or is this bad? As we go through this, uh, it's not about those things. It is about the substance of Christ. It is about having Christ as the focus point. It's about having Christ as the centrality of everything. Christ is the center 
of it all. So as you unwrap gifts, many of you unwrap <coughs> gifts on Christmas Eve, some unwrap gifts of the Christmas service, but know that it is first about Jesus. It's not so much about the gifts that we give one another. Uh, it is about the giver of the gifts, the great giver of the gifts. So what makes the Bible? I want to give you some factors, key factors of what makes the scripture verifiable and authentic. What if I take this word like this? Can atheists say, scientists say, archaeologists, geologists, professionals, theologians, uh, and many other professionals in their field can take this word and call it the verifiable, authorized, credible word of God? Why can they say it? Why is the, this Bible so credible? Why are we reading this Bible and believing everything it says? Surely it is just a book. Surely it is just, I can find another book. So people get a book of Satanism, get the book of this, get the book of that, Quran. And what is the difference? Why do I put my whole faith in a book? Why do I put my eternity in a book? Why do I live my life after a book? Why do I do everything, put my finances behind this book? But why do I collect my family to serve what this book says I must serve. Why is this book so powerful? This is what we first need to get into right now before we get into, uh, before we get into those three most asked questions. Why is, the word, why is the Bible the Word of God? Why is it so accurate? So I want us to touch on historical accuracy. So I'm just going to give you a few points. You don't have to write this down. If you can, you can. If you just want to sit and listen, you can sit and listen. It is just a point of interest. It is, it's got historical accuracy historical accuracy, which is what we call archaeological evidence. Archaeological evidence. Numerous archaeological discoveries support the Bible's historical accounts. Just to give you one example, if you look at the Pool of Bethesda in John 5 verse 1 to 15, it is still there and it affirms the gospel's description of its location and its properties. And we can go through a lot of things. We can go from Jericho, we can go from buildings, we can go through the church of Ephesus and we can go to a lot of physical places, things that has happened. Um, uh, things where there was water coming out of a rock that's no longer there, that rock has dried up and that scientists would prove you that water actually came out of this rock here where Moses was. These are historical archaeological evidences that proves the accuracy of Scripture. Then it corroborates with historical records. So the Bible historically narrat uh, uh, narrat uh, narratives often align with other ancient documents, manuscripts, findings, writings, and they cross-check events and figures, meaning they could say that the Bible is quite accurate because it's aligned with other historical uh, documents. The second point is prophetic fulfillment. Prophetic fulfillment. And I'm going to touch just only on a few. Prophetic fulfillment. It is, we see hundreds of prophecies that one man by the name of Jesus Christ came and fulfilled those prophecies, which is a statistical uh, impossibility. A statistical impossibility. I want, you to sh I want to show you the probability to, uh, the, uh, that analyze this prophetical or prophetic uh, probability, okay? The science of probability attempts to quantify the likelihood of certain events occurring. When applied to biblical prophecies, statisticians try to calculate the odds of one person 
fulfilling a specific number of these prophecies by chance. For example, Jesus fulfilling these prophecies. But what is the odds and the statistical probability for one person to fulfill these prophecies in the order that they've been fulfilled by the exact way that they've been fulfilled and predicted? So mathematician Peter Stoner in his book Science Speaks calculates the probability of one person fulfilling only eight of these prophecies. Now, please understand, Jesus fulfilled over 300. I think one time in our church, we took the probability up to 48 prophecies. How much it would be to fulfill 48? We try to write it out. One with 48 zeros. But now we're doing just eight prophecies, which is one to the power of 17. One to the power of 17. Okay, so, this, so for one man to fulfill only eight prophecies is, he estimates his chance at one in one to the, one in 10 to the power of 17, one in 100 with many zeros. Okay, to illustrate, Stoner gave the analogy of covering the state of Texas too deep in silver dollars, silver dollar coins, marking one. And having a person select the marked one at a random, at random, Come on the first try. That is the probability of one person fulfilling only eight prophecies. Now then, at church, one day we gave people the probability of 48. Now imagine 300. That's why Jesus is God. That's why the Bible is verified. So there are internal consistencies that over 1,500 years, uh, there's a span of this Bible written, uh, books written by a new, uh, different books written over 1,500 years by different authors who most of them didn't know one another from various backgrounds. The Bible maintains a remarkable consistency in themes and teachings. There's a coherence in the evidence of this and this causes a divine inspiration. There's manuscript evidence, and I'm not going to go through all of this, meaning that the manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls and all the other manuscripts has a textual integrity that lines up with Scripture. Also, the gap between the events and the actual writings, the original writings and the early manuscripts. So the, event, the, the, the gaps, the time gaps between the earliest writings, the original writings and the earliest manuscripts is getting closer and closer and shorter and shorter, which gives a reliability of the credibility of Scripture. So why, I'm giving you the reason as to why you should believe in the Word of God and not the Quran or not this or not that. I hope you guys are enjoying this at least a little bit. We'll get into yes. the fun stuff just now. Transformative impact. Whoever reads the Bible, their lives are transformed. That is just one simple point. It's got a scientific insight, meaning it lines up with modern scientific understanding, writings, and theses. It's got a philosophical and a moral, moral coherence. A philosophical and moral coherence. Many states, many, many countries base their moral code from the Bible. Families, the, the nuclear family base their moral code from the Bible. And for ancient writings such as this, so many years ago to have such a strong philosophical view and a moral code is definitely, um, is definitely the work of a divine creator, a divine being. The survival of the Bible through persecuted times, just the fact that it survived the dark ages, survived such persecution, nearly destroyed, but it is now yet still the most wide distributed book in the whole world. Personal testimonies of what happens to people when they read the Bible. And then to close off, number 10 is literary excellence. 
to take into consideration the ancient text that it is. It's thousands of years old. And the profound way, both poetry, the narrative that it is written in, the wisdom, the literature, the teachings, and the accuracy, the literacy, excellence, and accuracy, gives us, again, a reason as to why the Bible is what it is. So, I made it clear that I believe the Bible is the written Word of God, and, I, and it holds authority and total, complete authority in a believer's life. I hope every, is everybody on board. Let me know. Throw me a fire emoji if you're still with me. We're going to now get into the three questions. These comments are so slow. I don't know if it is outside, restream. Okay, fire, fire. We're not going to get banned with this music, eh? I think if I can just say one thing while we're waiting for the comments to come in, while Prophet was talking there, it made me think of um, just in how he was explaining certain things about the Bible. And it made me think about certain stories that we've heard. And I think everybody has heard these stories. And you'll remember what I'm talking about is that, you know, many other books, they will get burnt, they will burn up and everything else. But when it comes to the Bible, they've tried to burn Bibles, they've tried to destroy Bibles. and. There's so many times where these Bibles cannot be destroyed, where there'd be house fires or there'll be situations of that where the only thing that survives is the actual Bible that has survived. It might, like I said, it, for me, it's just powerful to think of that. It's not just a mere book. It's not just a book that we read. It's not just a book that is dead. So if you look at, and I, we're not here to speak against, in a sense of speak against tuning people for what they do. But if you look at the other books, the Bible is the only book that has life, that gives you life that um, gives you purpose where um, if I like I said I don't want to diss other religions now and get um, banned and stuff but um, um, other books there's so much death in the books there's so much law in the book where the Bible is so full of grace when we see it from the viewpoint that it's actually written and actually given to us it's just so powerful to see that So, I want us to get into the. Um, I want us to get into the uh, the message. Can a Christian have three? Or can a Christian have a Christmas tree? Does the camera work on me like this? If I sit like this, can a Christian have uh, a Christmas tree? So, you know, this has been an argument for. For ages, obviously, it's been an argument for many years, actually not thousands of years, because the, the Christmas tree hasn't been existing for thousands of years. It's been existing for a couple of thousand, but not many thousands of years. And you're going to explain now. So I want you, with this, I want you to get a pen out. I want you to get a, a, a journal out. And guys, sorry, the announcement video says to get your communion ready. There is no communion today. We're going to have communion tomorrow. We're going to have communion tomorrow. Um, we're going to have communion tomorrow. So get your pen out, get your, get your paper out or your book out. 
can a Christian have a Christmas tree? Is it allowed for a Christmas to have a Christmas tree? Let me know in your comments if you think yes or no. If you know, we're not going to fight you. We're just going to teach you. We're just going to teach you. So let me know in the comments. So, so let, me, let me get into this. Let me get into this. Let me get into this. So you can say yes or no. I know that most of our encounter followers won't have a problem with this. There might be some. Um, I had some people in other churches really attack us. I had, um, uh, uh, you know, just people who don't know what it's about. So I want our church, why am I doing these teachings? I want our church to be, uh, I, want, I want our church to be very anti-religious, not to have any religious bone in their body. You see, a religious spirit, a pharisaical mindset and spirit can never win the lost. Can never win the lost. A spirit of religion and a pharisaical spirit can never win the lost. They can never appeal to the lost. So when we get with all these things, we begin to look like a sect and cult. When we say, oh, we're not allowed to do this, not allowed to do that, not allowed to do this. And this was the very reason Christmas was actually implemented on the date of the 25th, which I'm going to close off with today. The very reason the church actually implemented it. Do you know the very reason was for soul winning? So we don't want anybody that is those that are followers of this um, the tradition of Christmas is pagan. So, if, brother, if you are on here, not just to th not just to disagree, but to actually sit and listen, you might sit and listen with an ear to hear, not just listening, but with an ear to hear, meaning an open heart, an open spirit, an open ear. You might just learn something, because there's nothing more disgusting and condemning and uh, insulting, and there's nothing more. Nothing more um, distasteful. When you get into somebody's house and they're anti this, anti that, I mean, you don't know whether you must, whether you're wearing cotton is trying to send you to hell or not. You know, you don't know if you're allowed to, to you, you don't know what you're allowed to do, what you're not allowed to do. Uh, you, there's no TV, there's no Christmas tree, there's no nothing. Christmas time's supposed to be a festive season. The poor kids have never seen a Christmas tree in their life. And uh, all because... The parents are religious and uh, because they are religious, they are robbing an incredible time that God has designed for families to be together, for families to spend time together and a time that God has created sovereignly for the whole world to celebrate His name. For the whole world to celebrate His name, almost the whole world, will hear, you will hear the name Christ coming off of their lips. Christ Mass, Christmas. You'll hear the name coming off of their lips. Why? Because God is ultimately, he said, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So get these toxic people out of your life. So we're sitting on, is it 800? Sitting, is it so we're yeah. sitting on about over 2,000 people watching. Far above. 2000 right now so so guys 
Can a Christian have a Christmas tree? There is no direct scriptural reference not to have a Christmas tree. I'm going to say it again. There is no direct scriptural reference not to have a Christmas tree. The Bible doesn't mention Christmas trees nor their symbolism. This allows freedom for Christmas, for Christians, to embrace or abstain from the tradition based on personal conviction and cultural context. I want to remove the cultural context really and just say personal convictions and conscience. Okay, so this is a matter of conscience and personal conviction and not to be thrusted upon somebody else. The moment it is thrusted upon somebody else, it is a becoming a sin. In fact, the Bible says, if you can't do these things, you are a weak brother, weak in the faith, a child in the faith, still being on milk, a weak brother in the faith. But then people would say, but what about Jeremiah chapter number 10, verse 2, verse 4 to 4? Uh, Leon, you said there's no scripture for that, the, that is Christmas trees. But I can quote Jeremiah chapter number 10, verse 24. Let's go there. Jeremiah 10, verse 24. I'm going to read out of the NIV. Jer- uh, out of the NIV, Jeremiah 10, verse 2 to 4. So as you're getting the scripture ready, this passage uh, what I'm going to read right now is often mistaken, uh, mistakenly associated with a modern tradition of decorating a Christmas tree. However, it actually refers to a different practice altogether. It has no direct connection to Christmas or the decoration of Christmas tree. I'm going to explain to you what it is now. But thus says the Lord, do, what do you have on there? Jeremiah 10 verse 2. Thus says the Lord, Oh, I'm out of the old NIV. It's fine. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens. Though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman now they cut a tree out of the forest a craftsman shapes it with his chisel shapes it with his chisel does this tree look shaped with a chisel well this isn't actually even a tree but americans come on you use real trees south africans we use fake trees (laughs) is your tree shaped with a chisel i hope not if it is and you've made some asherah pole there you have a problem They adorn it with silver and gold, which is actually the silver and gold would be plates that would be beaten in to give it like an armor type look. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. So I need us to look into the context and interpretation of idol making and what the scripture means. Everybody, the only verse they can throw you out is Jeremiah 10 verse 2. Jeremiah 10 verse 2. And I'm like rolling my eyes. And people have never, they just throw out Jeremiah 10 verse 2. They have never read the verse or even done a contextual interpretation of the verse, a historical, cultural 
context of the pagan worship and the pagan gods and what is it to do with Christians. But idol making, let's just quickly get into it. The passage in Jeremiah is describing the practice of making wooden idols. The tree mentioned is being carved into an idol, which is then adorned with silver and gold. This was a common practice in many ancient Near Eastern cultures where wood or stone was shaped into images and then used in idol worship. One of these practices, guys, one of these practices were to worship the goddess of Asherah, with which they made Asherah poles. One of these practices were to worship the goddess of Asherah, with which they made Asherah poles. Now, Asherah poles, there's no way you can put an image up on that day. Hey? That is an Asherah pole, but that's a naked woman. Try to get me one of... Uh, there's a pole that, that, that is more like tall. That looks like those totem poles. But there's both ways. So that one is actually a very good way. That's a true way. Um, it represents the mother earth. The goddess of Asherah. The goddess of a mother earth. So that's why they would have these women. I just don't want so many censored uh, or something like that on, on YouTube. Okay. So uh, he'll get the right image now. But there you saw it. And now we're going to put up another one for you to give you an example of what an Asherah pole is. And this is to educate you. To educate you. Found another one. There we go. That's an Asherah pole. Now, if you have that in your house or the other one, you need to cut it down, burn it, do deliverance on yourself, on your family, on your kids, and realize you just worshiped an idol. If you're bowing down before that thing, listen, even if you bow down before your Christmas tree, more people bow down before their phones than what they do before their Christmas tree. So the Christmas tree is not, is not a problem. People worship their phones. They, they, they bow their heads to the Almighty. I'll go to them. And, this is true. And they just feeding their lusts and they feeding, feeding, feeding. And then we cry about a Christmas tree. Forget about the Christmas tree. Worry about this thing because mm -hmm. the disease is going to come in through this thing. Oh. That's the new disease will come in through this thing. So, So it's also, so Asherah poles, guys, please stay with me. Asherah poles. The goddess of Asherah was worshipped as a deity of fertility, prosperity, and she was similar to Mother Earth. The exact appearance of an Asherah pole was wooden poles or carved trees. Sometimes it integrated into altars of sacred groves. The poles themselves were likely tall, often erected next to the altars of Baal. So in Jeremiah 10 4, God is condemning the practice of worshipping the goddess of Asherah through the means of Asherah poles. So as, as I said, as long as you don't worship your Christmas tree, hey, you worship other things, your car, you worship your phone, you worship your family, you worship your kids, you worship your wife. You should rather work with those issues. You work, worship your business, you worship your job, you worship your friends, you worship some of you, worship your coffee, you worship so many other things before you would think even worshiping Christmas tree, but then somebody puts a Christmas tree in their home and then you judge them so quickly. You have a plank in your own eye mm. while you're trying to take out the speck of another one, of another person's eye. Come on. So for every Pharisee on here, 
may you be rebuked in the name of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's the, that's the one I'm looking at the whole time. So, 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 the Asherah poles, guys, has no connection to Christmas trees. The modern Christmas tree tradition, as it is generally practiced, does not involve idol worship. The ascribing of any divine power or significance to the tree. The Christmas tree tradition has roots in various cultures, uh, practices, including some Christian symbolism, but it is not linked to the idolatrous practices described in Jeremiah chapter number 10. So, I want us to close off with the Christmas tree, but I, I can't close it off by, out without saying this. What is the origin? Where, is the, where, does it, where does the Christmas tree come from? What is the origin of the Christmas tree? The precise origin of the Christmas tree, as we know, it is not entirely clear, but certain speculations and general studies can uh, lead us to believe that it has begun around uh, the region of Germany. Okay, so Germany in the 16th century is, uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me start at Germany in the 16th century. Do we still have good numbers? I'm not a boring professor teaching teacher here. Okay, okay, so we're still on 2000. Minimum, I would say. Guys, for interest sake, everybody on your, interest sake, everybody on your, just put a one or two or three or four on. So let us know how many of you are watching. Or more, 10, 18, whatever. Just put one or two or three. I can see it. My moderators will see it. They're going to take it into account. I know some are watching on TV. You might not be able to. Maybe you can log in with your phone on Facebook and just throw the number there. Um, okay. That'll really, really help us. And then after you've done this, guys, I want to ask you one more big favor. One more big favor. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. If you have enjoyed this content, subscribe to the YouTube channel, click on the notification bell as you see below, subscribe to this channel. But secondly, I want everybody right now, click me a thumbs up button, a thumbs up button on the YouTube channel, thumbs up button, click like broadcast. I see a lot of new people have come on, click the thumbs up button. The moment you do it, it just spreads a bit more out. Uh, thumbs up button. I hope you guys had a captivating title. Uh, for the YouTube. Um, so thumbs up button guys on YouTube. Please do it for me so that we can see that, um, that increase. And I'm going to get on right now about the origin of the Christmas tree. I'm having a good time with you. So, so I see we have, um, okay, we have almost 600 people, but I want to see how much likes do we have okay so we have 295 likes we can definitely get it to 400 likes 450 likes if everybody on youtube clicks for us the thumb take your tv remote click go to the three little buttons try to click there and click the thumbs up it's just a relaxing it's a relax until we get into the next type of information and preaching okay so it's like leg stretching it's like leg stretching Thank you so much for the thumbs up, everyone. And uh, I saw quite, do you see all the big numbers there? Yes. So that is over 2,000. 2,000 is a conservative number. So, um, so we see, let's start with the Christmas tree on, and remember, press the thumbs up button. I'm going to check again just now how much there is. Let's look at the origin of the Christmas tree. In Germany in the 16th century, 
We see the modern Christmas tree tradition is often traced back to the 16th century German. And there's much more Christian about the Christmas tree than what you would have thought. Devout Christians, particularly in the regions of Alsace, brought and decorated trees into their homes. They did this because it is believed that Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, Protestant reformer, come on, where all of us come out of, first added lights, uh, first added lighted candles to a tree, inspired by the starry sky when he was out in the woods praying alone. He went out at night praying in the woods alone and he looked at the stars and he looked at the trees and he saw the stars through the trees and he most probably had pine trees or whatever tree, whatever type of Christmas tree you guys use in the United States. We don't have those trees here, unfortunately, but uh, they saw these trees they saw the stars through the trees and it gave him this image of having that image in his house and it reminded him of Christ the star on Christmas and Christ being on a tree, hang on a tree and he brought it into his house and he hung candles on the tree as a representation of Christ hanging on a tree. So please never say that if you say this is pagan, you might as well say the cross of Jesus Christ oh, is pagan. If you say the Christmas tree is pagan, you might as well say the cross of Jesus Christ is pagan. Now I know we're going to have some numbers dropping right there. Goodbye, all your religious Pharisees. Those are going to jump off. We'll see you next year, Christmas. Or in the comments of the live streams. So, so the glass balls have a similar root in Germany as well. Yeah, now we're just touching on Germany. So listen to this. So it was Martin Luther, your favorite reformer, that actually popularized this thing amongst Christians in Germany. Then from there, or France or Germany because it bordered kind of like France as well. And then from there, by the 18th century, the custom of the Christmas tree had become common in Germany and was beginning to spread to neighboring countries. When we touch United Kingdom influence, we see the Christmas tree became popular in Britain in the 19th century. The turning point was when Queen Victoria and her husband, Prince Albert, were illustrated in a newspaper standing around a Christmas tree in a photo. Standing around a Christmas tree in a photo. This image published in the Illustrated London News in 1846 became iconic and led to the Christmas celebrations in Britain and the British Empire as a whole. So I want you to see this. See something that was Christian taken by a Christian reformer, Martin Luther, and it began to be popularized not only in Germany and Europe, but also um, United Kingdom and France also in the United Kingdom, by the royal family themselves, something that reminded them of Christ. Now we see the adoption of the United States. We see German settlers that brought the Christmas tree tradition to America in the 18th and the 19th centuries. But it didn't become widespread until later. The popularity in Britain, boosted by Queen Victoria's endorsement, helped establish the Christmas tree in American culture by the late 19th century. So conclusion 
of the Christmas tree. I want to give you a conclusion of the Christmas tree. Okay. It's, it's important to interpret the scripture to consider a historical and a cultural context, especially when we read the verse Jeremiah chapter number 10, verse 2 to 4. Uh, in, the, in the case of that passage, it is addressing idolatry, creation of worship, handmade idols, even um, it is even addressing what do you call it? Astrology. It is addressing worshipping Mother Earth, the gods of fertility for prosperity. It has nothing to do with decorating your Christmas tree. We are only on question one. We are only on question one, guys. Only on question one. So our focus should never be the tree. Our focus must be Christ. But what happens when I look at a tree? I see Christ hanging on a tree. What happens if I look at the star? I see the morning star where Christ was born. Bright morning star. He's the bright morning star. Because what is Lucifer? He was the morning star. But Jesus was the bright morning star. <laughs> just, just clarify that. But um, it's the star, it's the tree. You see the body on the tree. I mean, the tree has such significance. The leaves, and we're gonna get. I'm gonna show you this just now. So I want to. I want to read you some scriptures. But Leon, you said a lot of information right now. Where is all of this in the Bible? So first of all, I disproved Jeremiah chapter number ten, verse two to four. I disproved. Yeah, he's the bright morning star in Revelation. But Lucifer was one of the, one of the morning stars, because the morning stars sang. Okay, so, so <clears throat> let's give you some scriptures, okay? John 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Meaning, focus on the celebration of God's gift. Amen. Don't focus on the Christmas tree. Don't focus on the gifts. Focus on God's gift, who was Jesus. Um, you know, Romans 14, verse four, 5, Romans 14, verse 5, is speaking about freedom to personal convictions. It says, one person considers a day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each must be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as a special, so does, the, does so the Lord. Whoever eats meat, does so to the Lord, giving thanks to God. And whoever abstains, does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Don't impose it onto another. Listen, it was using branches and trees for celebration was an early Jewish tradition. We see in Leviticus 23 verse 40, Leviticus 23 verse 40, on the first day you are taken, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. I'm going to read it again. On the first day you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Colossians 2 verse 16 shows how to stay free from legalism. Colossians uh, 2 verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with what regards to religious festivals, Christmas, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ, the substance of Christ. So there we have opened up for you the Christmas tree. So I want to get into number two. What about Santa? What about Santa? What about Santa? The fat man in the red suit. 
and the beard. What about Santa? Let me know if everybody is still with us. Let me know if everybody is still with us. Let me see how many has liked our YouTube video. I'm going to find the truth out now. So we had 295. We are sitting on 420. Come on. That's very good. We can get 500. 500. We can get 500. There's 80 of you that have not pressed the thumbs up and the like button. So press the thumbs up. Why do we do that? It does spread the algorithm of this beautiful Christmas message of three questions that a lot of people are asking. Um, even unbelievers are like, oh, Christmas trees are evil and blah. You know, I'm thinking, be worried about your soul. Don't be worried about a, some Christmas tree. And what am I trying to say this 24th of December that tonight when Christmas Eve start, enjoy your Christmas Eve. Have eggnog without the alcohol. Have your eggnog. Um, I wish we had eggnog in South Africa. There was one they made for me at a certain place that was amazing. That was like really amazing. I mean, it's like sugar and condensed milk and uh, mixed with some egg yolk. And, and it, was, it was amazing with a little bit of cinnamon. You couldn't stop drinking this drink. It was like a white chocolate type of thing. So that you can enjoy your Christmas. God is not... You know how these Branhamites were with their long hair, their long dresses, you know. God is not that. God is not a, uh, what is the other? Amish. He's not Amish. Okay. Amish are wilder than some of you. <laughs> five people watching. Thank you so much. Guys, if you have your families watching, like four or five, take photos, please. Take photos, put it on Facebook and tag me and the church or the pastors so that we can see you. Tag me and the church so that we can see you. I'll go comment on each and one of them that I can see. So let's get to the second one. What about Santa? What about Santa? What about Santa? Was Santa evil? Was he a demonic icon? Was he a, 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 a delirious man? Was he a man that is evil? Is he a man that your kids should see or not? Now I'm going to give this a um, rating. If you don't want your young kids to listen to this, you can ask them to leave, but then I think you are a bad parent. Okay, a good parent would want their kids to know the truth, that there really was a Santa, and that Santa was even a preacher of the good news. Explain to them the truth, and then explain to them by where the gifts really come from, which is you, and then explain to them who the gift of that giver, the giver of those gifts really are, who is Jesus Christ, and then explain to them who is the true gift, which was Jesus Christ. God becoming flesh dwelt among us. A child was born, a son was given. Unto us a child was born, a son. Tomorrow I'm getting to the fourth dimensional side of Christmas. Four, four dimensions of God in Christmas. So you don't want to miss tomorrow morning. It's going to be amazing. So let me give you, who is Santa? Is Santa Satan? Like people would say, Santa, Satan, Satan, Santa. Is Santa Satan? If you change the letters, you know, it's Santa is now Satan. And we scare kids, oh, red, you know, he wears red. And No, Santa is not Satan. Santa was an actual person called Saint Nicholas. An actual person. He was a Christian pastor and a bishop. 
He was very poor, by the way. And then he inherited family wealth. So St. Nicholas was a Christian pastor and bishop. At the time of his birth, Christianity was persecuted. Minority, it was a persecuted minority religion. And by the time of his death, Christianity had become legalized religion favored by the emperor. I want you to understand this. When St. Nicholas, Santa, was born in uh, Christianity was a persecuted, marginalized minority of a religion. By the time of St. Nicholas's death, it was a religion favored by the Roman emperor. It was a religion favored by the emperor. So Nicholas had something to do with this. And he most definitely had. So who is Santa? Who is Santa? But St. Nicholas, now listen to this. Uh, so I'm going to read a little bit because I want the I want the gist of the message to come through to you. So Saint Nicholas wasn't much of a scholar or a thinker. He wasn't intelligent. He wasn't a wise person. Maybe he made school, maybe he didn't. I'm not exactly sure. But still, he helped to shape the Christian faith, and that was so. He was ex- that was so exciting and interesting about him. So listen to this. People see Santa, they demonize Santa, yet they don't know he was a preacher, a bishop, a radical preacher. He wasn't intelligent, so he wanted to find different ways on reaching people and bringing the love of God to people. I wish some of you could find some different ways to bringing the love of God to people. Come on. There are many saints who were intellectuals and scholars who influenced Christian thought. But here is a saint, and please understand they were called a saint. He was a saint who influenced faith by his actions and by his love, life. Saint Nicholas is often depicted, I want to become a saint. Don't you think it's awesome to become a saint? How do you become a saint? No, you don't have to be Catholic because you don't have to be Catholic. There's something you do to become a saint afterwards. You must be known as like saint miracles. Okay. So we're going to work on it hard. Do notable miracles hard. Become a saint. And when I'm dead, I can be referred to as saint. You know, Saint Leon de Pro. <laughs> So, listen, listen, listen. Saint Nicholas, Saint Nicholas is often depicted in art, carrying three bags of gold on the, all these images. That's because he was generous with a sizable amount of money he inherited when his parents died. One night, very specifically, Saint Nicholas filled three bags full of gold and tossed each one into a home where three young impoverished women lived. The young women on the brink of starvation used the gold as dowries to get married and escape the door of destitution and poverty. And for this story, Saint Nicholas became well known. The act propelled Saint Nicholas into the imagination of people. And his story began to be passed from generation to generation. Over time, St. Nicholas's story and name continued to gradually grow. 
So much so that by the 1100s, nuns in France were making handcrafted toys, signing them from St. Nicholas and leaving them at the homes where children lived. Think of how that legacy has played out today in many parts of the world. In Europe, uh, St. Nicholas is celebrated each year on December 6. It's called St. Nicholas Day. On the eve of St. Nicholas Day, the legend goes that St. Nicholas, who looks like a Catholic bishop, places small gifts such as fruits, cookies and candles in the shoes or stockings of children who are encouraged to share their treats with others. And in the US, St. Nicholas' name is vernacular of popular culture. Christmas is a time of giving and receiving gifts, and the modernized Santa Claus draws from St. Nicholas. Santa, for example, loosely derives from saint. That's where we get the word Santa from, not Satan, but saint. And popular renderings of Santa include him with a bag to carry goodies for children. It was only the United States that demonized him by making him coming down a chimney, as a fat man coming down a chimney. When in St. Nicholas Day, on the 6th of December in Europe, it would be celebrated as a Catholic bishop coming to the houses, putting, a, a, putting fruit, cookies and candies in the shoes and stockings of the children. It's only America again that commercialized, westernized, fantasized demonized. and demonized the stuff up. When in fact it had a pure, pure beginning. Hey? They branded him. You know? In Africa, Christianity was spiritual. In Rome, it became a religion. In America, it became a business. So, anything in America is branded and sold. Hello from Australia. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, so listen, Santa, 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 points to focus on. Number one, I'm going to dare to say the following. It is harmless fun. It is harmless fun. The Santa Claus narrative as a fictional story of giving and generosity can be enjoyed by children and adults without contradicting the Christian faith. If your faith is so weak that this really offends you, I encourage you, to switch off this television. No one is forcing you to watch this. The remote is in your hand. You can do it. It's the red button. You can do it. You, can, you don't have to walk out. You can just switch off. I know it's difficult right now. I know you're stiff, angry at what was shared. Just switch it. You can go ahead. Okay. You can even unlike the, what you've liked. And you can even unsubscribe. So it's harmless fun. Why am I saying it is harmless fun? It is a very simple idea and easy idea to explain this history to your children that I just read to you now and give them the true meaning of Christmas as to why we celebrate it. It is Jesus' birth. But explain to them, where does the gifts come from? Well, the gifts was actually coming from a guy called St. Nicholas who was a preacher and he wanted to go bless kids. He, didn't, he couldn't preach well. He didn't have any good vernacular. So he decided he was going to give all his gifts away. 
even from a young age. And he began to give all his gifts away. And he was known for giving three bags of gold to three sisters that then became, could move out of a town of poverty, get married and get into a very well-known life. And that story went throughout the whole world. And that is how he was called Santa Claus. And Santa, tell them, actually means saint. A saint is somebody that is, that is actually, what is a saint? A saint is somebody that's canonized, almost, almost canonized. They called it canonized. So, so it became a very important part in a Christian. So Santa's actually Christian, but it's not him bringing the gifts. It's Jesus Christ bringing the gifts. Actually, it's us as parents buying you the gifts, but it's Christ giving us the ability to buy you the gifts. So yes, you do have to be good throughout the year and not naughty because that'll determine what gift you're going to get from us. But there's no naughty list and good list that's going to go to some North Pole or South Pole. I hope I didn't mess it up for some of your kids that were listening right now. If I did, there's a disclaimer. I take full no, no responsibility to the lies that you have lied to them. And manipulation you've put on them. And the manipulation that you have put on them. Yes, kids, your parents lie to you. Yes, children. Because of that, they owe you an extra Christmas gift. A bonus gift tomorrow. Is this like trouble? Are we going to get into trouble for this? Huh? Oh, okay. I don't, I'm just seeing everybody looking at me, so I'm not sure. Hey? I think Prophet said something, you know, he said something that Santa is fun. And the thing is, is like, like I said earlier today, is that we make it so religious. We make it so um, demonized where we take the whole um, enjoyment and we take the whole pleasure of Christ, of celebrating the most important day in our Christian faith, apart from, you know, the, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. If if the thing is, is that if, if, if Jesus wasn't born, if Christ wasn't born, there would have been no death and there wouldn't have been a resurrection. So now, instead of reaching the world, the people who actually do celebrate Christian or most unbelievers celebrate Christmas, even though they don't know why they're celebrating, but they like to give gifts to one another. But the whole reason as to explaining to him the, the real reason behind Christ, uh, Christmas, the religion and the tradition of us, we now cause them to turn away. How can... How can um, how can we want to serve a God who's they're supposedly supposed to be um, celebrating his birthday, but now they're fighting and they're speaking all of this stuff and it's this Christians against these Christians and these Pharisees, or they don't call it like that, but you know, the, there's, there's no unity, um, you know, all because of religion and tradition. Um, but it's fun. It's enjoyable. You can, like Prophet said, make it something exciting. Make it something fresh, something new to win a soul. Um, you know, a lot of people, and like you said, even with the generation of today, they, they want controversy. Not controversy in a sense of law and tradition. They want something new. They want something fresh. So um, not to make it this boring life of just sitting around moaning and groaning about everything have the joy of the lord in everything that we do and in celebrating christmas i i think it's difficult for me to understand because i don't think we've ever had that mindset of where it has been like that i understand people think that way and that they were raised that way but it's just so difficult to try and conceptualize how someone can make 
something that's so special, so negative, but it's our responsibility to change our mindsets. It's our responsibility to to change our viewpoints and raise our children different to be the impact in the world, not the religion and the tradition in the world, but be the impact in the world and be creative. God is not a God that is plain and boring. He is a God that is creative. I mean, just look at the world, just look at nature and creation, how he's created it. So in our way of doing things, it's about the creativity. So Prophet said now with him, he was uh, St. Nicholas, he was creative and he, he might not have been clever, but he was creative in how he reached the people. And in that time, he reached the people. Um, but unfortunately, like we said, is that we've demonized it. Let's change that. Let's make the change. We think that our little change doesn't make a difference. No, but your impact and your change to challenging people, not in a negative way, but in a in a godly spirit-led way, challenging the people and teaching the people that you know that is against Christmas, that can reach the people that they know. Um, so I just want to encourage you in that. So guys, we have reached 491 likes. So I know we can reach 500 likes, nine more likes, then we reach 500 likes. So am I saying it's harmless fun? Explain the story to your children. It'll do them the world. It will not harm them. The truth doesn't harm. The truth heals. Um, uh, the kids need the truth, but I think the kids will have to give a debrief to kids after this message, Prophet. Our kids needs the truth, Prophet. Amen. So so uh, it's because they know they know depths of God. So. And let me tell you, your kids anyway knows, by the yes. way. Okay, so, so, so what is the correct focus? Another point we need to focus on. So number one, it is harmless fun. And then there's a correct focus, meaning we ensure that the emphasis remain upon Jesus Christ as the true source of love and gifts. Santa Claus can be a fun side story, but not a replacement of the biblical Christmas narrative, Christ being born. I want to give you some scriptures and support to Santa Claus and him giving gifts. You know, Luke 6 verse 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. In reading the scriptures, I want you right now, to begin to get your offering ready, your seed ready, your tithe ready, your special Christmas offering ready, guys. They're going to put the details of giving. Now, the details below is going to change eh, every time. So it's going to be on like for 10 seconds and then it's going to change. Every 10 seconds, it's going to change. So take a screenshot. This is the inter this is the national one, the local one at the moment. Then it's going to change to the international one. Once it changes to the international one, you take a screenshot again. Uh, if you're international, then you use those things. You can use the... Uh, if you're on TV, it's easy. You can use the Cash App and the Venmo. That's international anyway, Cash App and Venmo there. Why is, oh, that's not international. You swapped it. Oh, so what is on the on the local one? Zapper, Snapscan. Okay. So, oh, it's Zapper. So, 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 um, we got Zapper here. So this the local one is Zapper. It's our banking details, EFT. Um, you can do PayPal. You can go to our website, encounterchurch.co.za or leondeprea.com. Encounterchurch.co.za or leondeprea.com. Uh, for the international, you can also go to our website, encounterchurch.co.za or leondeprea.com. And then you... Um, 
you can use PayPal, you can use credit card facilities on there, you can do cash, app, Venmo. You just scroll down on the homepage, you'll see all the, all the ways of giving. If you want to partner with this ministry, if you say, I want to become a partner of this ministry, you can go to leonderprayer.com and you'll find all the partnership partners available there. Um, I'm busy doing another exclusive live stream this week, actually two this week coming with our partners and um, uh, special things that I'll be sharing with them and teaching them and so on. So, but if you want to give, give right now a Christmas special gift. We're halfway through with the message, not halfway, two-thirds way through. We're going to touch on one last thing, the date of 25 September. But just before we get to the date, I want you to take this opportunity to give. I can see all your comments. Let me know if you're giving. Let me know if you're giving, guys. Let me know if you're giving. I want to ask two things. Let me know if you're giving and let me know if you're planning your first fruits this year. Let me know if you're giving and let me know if you're planning your first fruits, meaning you're planning to give first fruits this year in January. Um, that I can see your name and I can just pray for you. I want to pray for everybody on you. And just while I'm reading these verses, you know, the Bible says, given it will be given to you. You don't have to put it up. Press down, shaken together, running over. Shall men come and put into your bosom? Shall men come and put into your bank account? You know, the Bible says in 1 John 3 verse 18, I'm just putting this also in reference with scriptures with Santa. 1 John 3 verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. Don't tell somebody you love them. Show them that you love them. And how do we show them we love them? Put our money where our heart is. Uh, and you see, you know, we're probably going to spend 100,000 or so by giving out tomorrow just to the families. 100,000, just like that, if not more, to families in both campuses that is in need. And so um, uh, uh, we are a giving church, especially during this time, but we also always give. We see people in need. We try to do our best. Plus we have hope. Uh, we've given hope boxes and Christmas boxes. But not only that, we have a very big need ourselves. We are busy with a massive project that is going to be revealed to you on February, around February. We trust and hope it's going to be revealed to you around February. We're working very hard on it. And um, I already saw people beginning to sow into it. Some began to sow a million rand. Uh, you know, another one, I think somebody else gave 500,000 or 800,000 from the United States. I remember them. Thank you so much. That was actually one of our partners. And uh, then uh, I saw one of the young people in our church giving a million rand. Uh, so young people can give. If young people can give that amount, come on. Elderly folk, where are your amounts? Go take mortgages, do whatever it can to get this project up. Because once you see it in February, you're going to be like, man, I would have wanted to invest already into this. So exciting this is going to be. So let me know if you're planning for your first fruits. I'm going to read your comments right now. And if you're giving right now. So God was the first one who gave. Listen, God was the first one who gave. The Bible says that he loved, he so loved the world. That he gave, John, John 3 verse 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved, so loved, I so love something that I give. I so love something that I give. For God so loved the world that he gave. How do I show my love towards my loved ones during Christmas? I give a Christmas gift. How do I show my love towards God? I give to him. He doesn't need a fruit. He doesn't need an apple. Do you know what God needs? He needs finances for the local church to advance the kingdom and the mission on the earth. Some people are like, you know, I've got millions. I'll go buy some. I'll go buy some. I'll take my girlfriend out there. 
for a movie. I'll pay for that lunch there. But when it comes to the church, I don't give a cent, but I must expect to be spiritually filled. No, no, no. Let's add, listen, the advancement we're doing for the kingdom right now is historical in the city that we are at. And you want to be a part of it. And we can do anything for you if you become a part of that. What I mean by that is we can put your name into it. We can put something, we can do something, but we can do something special. And so let me, I want to see those who have given, I want to pray for you quickly. I'm going to pray for you. And then we're going to get to the third point, guys. So I believe everybody must have gotten the details. I believe everybody must have gotten the details. Um, so I don't know if we should still keep it up or not. Let me see. Planning my first fruits for crossover. Take your screenshots, guys. Take your screenshots because I want to take it off. Um, just for the sake of We don't want people to drop off. That's... Ah, but people that drop off get so offended. How dare they take up a... How dare they take up a... a an offering. How, how, how do we bring this beautiful message to you? With your offering. So... I saw last night, seed joy. This will be the first time in my life that I'm going to give first fruit this year. Awesome, awesome, Letitia. Planning for my first fruit and giving today. Shavir saying, awesome, thank you so much. Are you enjoying, and pledge your first fruit. Make a vow and pledge your first fruit, guys. Are you enjoying this, okay? Gave, prophet, gave, gave. Awesome, thank you so much. We'll be finished just now. My first fruit's already planned. My first fruit is prepared for crossover. Planning my first fruit for crossover service. That is a very good idea. Very good idea, guys. You will give off the live stream profit. Awesome. Thank you so much. Just don't forget, the tree with the hanging candles must have been quite a hazardous decor. Definitely. Um, given and planning to give first fruits. Thank you so much. Jonathan, our prophets, this, our prophet from SA. Oh, okay. Um, End of this month, I've just uh, thank you so much for teachings. Awesome first fruits with Jewish New Year and pledging to give them in then in 2024. Thank you so much, Mariette. Uh, too, I just joined. You just joined. Sorry that you're joining on the offering part. We've already done three parts of two parts of this, two parts of the sermon. We're going to do the third part right now, which is the third point. We're just taking up an offering in the middle of the sermon. First fruit. Thank you so much. My first fruit. Yes, prophet. Uh, one January. I'll definitely give first fruit. I'll be planning first time. Thank you so much. Ultimate torch. I have almost nothing to give, but I will give you 10 pounds after the live stream. Please pray. Thank you so much. May God bless you for that 10. 10 euros. May God bless you for those 10 euros, Manuel. I'm excited to be partnering with so many other people in the church in this great vision. Planning first fruits times two. Thank you so much, Sylvia. First fruit, first fruit, given profit, given, given, gave, gave, gave. Come on now, gave, gave, giving, giving first fruits. Blessed to give first fruit. Yes, more important to recover. Uh, truth of salvation. Uh, this will be built. Yes, first fruits will do so January 2024. Thank you so much. I want to see our church being a church that understands first fruits, give first fruits. You know, this year, 2023, I saw our church giving first fruits the beginning of the year. I want to see that again, the beginning of 2024, because let me tell you, 2024 is going to be an incredible financial year for many of you. It's going to be incredible financial blessings coming to many of you, incredible financial blessings coming to many of you. And you want to have your seed on the ground. You want to have your temperature right. We'll definitely give the first fruit 24. This will be my first year to give first fruit awesome uh 
give, give, given, given, given. There's so many people. We thank you so much. Every name, every people saying they are partners. Let me just do the last bit here. Gave Prophet Christelle Almas, thank you so much. Gave Prophet, I'm um, planning to f- give first fruit seed. Nicolette Janssen, thank you. Nicolette, thank you so much. Can't wait to receive that given and wanting to partner. Wanting to partner Marlies Miller. Somebody can contact Mar- comment on Marlies Miller. I'm not sure if Algenaisi or not on Marlies Miller. We receive, amen, good morning. Thank you, Prophet. We learned so much. How do you give to personally, Prophet Timothy Lloyd? Um, are the guys going to answer Timothy Lloyd? Okay. Guys, must read the comments, please. Um, they will give you a way on how to personally give to me. Um, uh, Timothy, it's Timothy Lloyd on YouTube. Uh, God will bless you. I mean, tithe. Chris did answer, he said. So, Chris, Timothy, Chris answered you and you can communicate with Chris. He's the only guy that you can, others will be scams. Chris will answer you. Giving and planning first fruit. I vow to sow, planning first fruit. Jesus had a money purse for his ministry. People read not the Bibles exactly. Uh, Nikita, if I had employment and cash, I would have tithed now. And also I would have loved to give first and don't have employment. Just make a vow. You'll see how easily you get employment. Make a vow. Just make a vow. Me also, thank you for opening my eyes. Pledge to give first fruit. I'm pledging. How can I give to personally to profit? Okay, that's Timothy. I think this thing repeats itself. You see, 500. Red says $500 UDF or USD? I assume USD. $500 UD. Oh, is it from your UDF? $500. But red gone it either way. Thank you so much. You, oh, you pledge $500 for first fruit crossover. Thank you so much. Um, Red Garnet, we appreciate you. We appreciate your partners. I follow all your guys' stuff. First Fruit Conference on, on Mighty Networks. First Fruit Crossover. Um, I'll be sowing a seed. Most people saying First Fruits, they'll be doing crossover. Awesome. So a lot of people are giving right now. I want us to get on. I want us to get on. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. We bless you. I'm going to pray for all of you right now. I want to pray for you. And uh, stretch out your hands. I think we can remove the banner. Stretch out your hands wherever you are. And then we can carry on with this message. Stretch out your hands wherever you are right now. Father, I pray. I thank you for the anointing. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for the glory of God. I thank you that this year, 2024, will be a year of blessings and favor for them. I pray for doors to be opened. A year of visitations. Doors to be opened in Jesus' mighty name. I pray bank accounts to be blessed, businesses to grow. Give them ideas, give them opportunities, give them opportunities, give them correct relationships, favor them. Father, I want to pray that you will never remove your favor from my life. Never remove your favor from their life and increase your favor, increase your grace upon upon their lives. I pray for a prophet's reward upon their lives. Those who made a vow of first fruits, that they will pay their vow, that they'll answer their vow and pledge and pay their pledge and their vow. And as they put in the ground of this first fruits year and also as they give towards this vision fund, this great project we are doing, they have no option but to be blessed in a supernatural divine intervention that others will recognize and see and be astounded by the blessing of the Lord and the hand of the Lord upon their lives. I decree and declare it on this day in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for your giving. Thank you so much for your giving. We're going to carry on.
with point number three. And I know a lot of people jump off. We have like a hundred that jumped off or 80 that jump off, hundred that jump off because, oh, you know, they always say, it's all about giving, all about giving, giving, giving. Oh, they just want money, money, money. Huh? Some go off to give. Well, we'll see if the numbers get back on. So I'm not speaking about those. I'm speaking about those that go off to like saying, oh, this church is all about giving, giving, giving. But yet you're sitting on our live stream watching through our cameras. I wonder how these cameras came to be. Fell out of the sky. It's amazing life. Jesus gave his, God gave his best. So we ought to give our best. So the first fruit has a principle and a rule to it. It must always be the best part. So there'll be no service tonight. I'm going to get on now in the third part. There's no service tonight, guys. You're going to have Christmas Eve with your family. But tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Central African time, we're going to be, I'm going to be in Centurion. My wife is going to be in Krugersdorp. Let's get to the third point. So we, what did we cover? We covered Christmas trees. We yes. covered Santa Claus. That is yes. actually Saint Claus, Saint Nicholas. He was a preacher, a bishop of the Catholic Church. He couldn't preach on their high theological way. So he found a better way to become a saint by giving action deeds. And he became famous for that all around the world. Um, so then point number three, the third question, most asked question is, what about 25 December? Uh, Irene Nettis, Irene Nettis saying pledging 24,000 for first fruits, 24,000. Irene, is, 20, is that 24, is that 2,000, oh sorry, $2,400. Blazing $2,400. Thank you so much, Irene Nettis. Appreciate it. You almost got a $24,000 blessing. But then I read correctly. Um, but we're praying for you. May God bless you. May He multiply you. May it be the best of the best of your first fruit. Amen. And you will see the results Amen. in 2024. I plan to also join participants once I get employment. Amen. Can't wait to see you in Nikita. Make a vow. Say, Lord, my first salary I give to you. I, I promise you, make a vow like that and you'll see employment come. You'll see the Lord giving you a job. So, 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 thank you so much. Facebook and internet acting up going. Go to YouTube, guys. If Facebook's acting up, go to YouTube. So let's get to, that might be why the numbers is dropping, not sure. But um, what about, so the third question, what about 25 December? What about 25 December? What about 25 December? How did we get to the date of 25 December? Celebrating. How did we get to the date of 25? I'm not sure if that will that camera still be in fine for. How did we get to the 25 December? Celebrating the birth of Christ. How do we get to the 25th December celebrating the birth of Christ? Now, first of all, December 25th was not reached by biblical or historical records. It is not the birthday of Christ. Some people made up some mock-up article somewhere that's just made up. It is not the birthday of Christ. The process that led to this date is an interesting mixture of Christian thought, strategy, evangelism and winning the lost so i want you to listen to this how did we get to the 25th of december how do we get to the 25th of december so how do we get to how did the church get to the 25th of december well, before we even get to the church 
Yeah, yeah. Let me say it like this. How did, we, how did the church get to the 25th of December? First of all, I want to say this. There's no biblical reference. The Bible does not mention the exact date that Jesus was born. We can work out the years, but we cannot get to the exact date that Jesus was born. Point number two, when it comes to early Christian tradition and early Christian practices, early Christians did not focus on celebrating Christ's birth, but rather His resurrection, which is central to Christian faith. So the resurrection is really the main one, okay? The primary Christian celebrations were the Epiphany. This is in the early Christians uh, uh, church. It was the Epiphany, which is uh, commemorating the visit of the Magi, and then Easter commemorating the resurrection. Those two were the two main festivals, if I can say it like that, or celebrations that were celebrated by early Christians. The third point of how this date came to be is we see the influence of pagan festivals. But I want you to listen to me on this one. Because yes, the 25th is a pagan and was a pagan. I don't know if it is or not anymore, but it was a pagan festival. But I want you to see what the church did, the thought pattern on this very interesting point. The choice of December 25th is often linked to Roman pagan festivals. The most notable is uh, Saturnalia a celebration of honoring Saturn, the god of agriculture, and the winter solstice festival. Do you guys get that? It's the celebrating of the god of Saturn, the god of agriculture, and the winter solstice festival. Dias Natalis Solas Invicti. It means this, it is the birthday of the unconquered sun. It is the birthday of the unconquered sun. Now, you, now, this is not important at all. Because we couldn't care less. Because even your birthday is pagan. Which celebrated the return of longer daylight hours. So this was with winter solstice, where they then began to celebrate longer daylight hours. Was it something similar to... Is it similar to um, summer daylight savings? Does that happen on 25 December? Okay. 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 And that is, and is the days actually getting longer? Okay, what part of the world you're in? Okay. So I. So the celebration comes from that. So these festivals, listen to this, these festivals were marked by feasting, merrymaking, and in the case of Saul Invictus, the celebration of the sun god. So yes, the 25th of December is a pagan holiday. Does it make Christmas a pagan holiday? Absolutely not, and I'll explain right now. So just stay with me. And if people do put nonsense, just uh, remove it. Is that Chris commenting there or not? A link. Is it Chris commenting the link there? Yes, yes. Okay. Because sometimes people come in their names and comment links. 
Okay, it doesn't show here. Okay. So, 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 guys, so 25 December is influenced by pagan um, festivals. But listen to this. This is where we, it gets now very interesting. The church, especially in Rome, began to adapt and Christianize these popular pagan festivals as a means of promoting Christianity. By aligning the celebration of Jesus' birth with these existing festivals, the church sought to overshadow pagan traditions with Christian ones. So what is the theological symbolism? Why did the church do this? What is the theological symbolism of the 25th of December? The choice of December 25th also carried a theological symbolism. It's linking Jesus' birth to the winter solstice when days began to grow longer, symbolizing Jesus as the light coming into the world, John 8 verse 12, that He is the light of the world, referencing the light of the world. That is a theological symbol, symbolism. A formal establishment, when did the 25th December, if, if uh, 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 formally being established in the calendar? So it says the first recorded mention of December 25th as the birth date of Jesus comes from a Roman calendar from around 336 AD. That's the furthest back they could get, a 336 AD. By the end of the 4th century, most of the Western church had adopted this date for Christmas and it gradually spread to other regions. Now I want to go a little bit further and a little bit touch on the elephant in the room. Why did the church decide to use a pagan feast day as Christ's birthday? Why did the church decide to use a pagan feast day as Jesus Christ's birthday? Let me see if you guys are still with us. The comments are so delayed on you. Yo. It's like 10 minutes late on, on the screen here. So, so listen, why did the church decide to use a pagan feast day for Christ's birthday? Adopting December 25th, a date associated with pagan festivals as the celebration of Jesus' birth was a strategic decision by the early Christian church and a deep Christian thought. I want you to listen to this. This move made in the context of the religious and cultural landscape of the time had several advantages. First advantage is it caused for easier soul winning. Easier and more effective soul winning. There was an easier transition that was taking place from pagans becoming Christians. For many pagans, transitioning to Christianity was a significant cultural and religious shift. Let me give you an example. If you get a Muslim saved, they get rejected by all their family. They get thrown out by all their family. Makes it very difficult. They get no funding, lose their job, lose their home, lose their car, lose any financial support, lose any social support. The only per And when Christians don't understand that trauma it's very difficult to do um, Islamic evangelism and understand the repercussions of that salvation now should we pick up our cross fully should we expect that fully but the early church wanting to find a more easier and effective uh, soul winning strategy that could just because they had the mindset of taking over I want you to understand this the early Christian church did not have actually have a rapture mindset 
They had a mindset that they should take over the world. Romans chapter number 17, verse number 5 or 3. It says, the first, I think it's 5. It says, those who have come here also have turned the world ups, those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So the early Christian church had this mindset of taking over completely evangelizing and influencing the marketplace, the business area, the, re, the, the media, whatever it is, communications, the business world, the fishing trade, the p- politics, whatever they might be, the Roman Empire to get up to the highest courts. Even Paul himself, when he came to, when he came to, who was it? Was it, who did Paul stood in front of? Was it, um, uh, 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 was it Agrippa? Was king of Agrippa where he stood and he began to preach the gospel to king of Agrippa because they wanted the gospel to influence every facet of society and every factor of society so where they did not have a mindset that we're going to be escaping escapism out of here immediately that is a wrong ineffective mindset to have a mindset to be have is that we are to take over Jesus gave us the commandment occupy till I come go and do go and make disciples uh, of nations go and make disciples of nature teaching them all things that I've taught you baptizing them in my name teaching them all things that I taught you uh, uh, casting out demons healing the sick raising the dead uh, let them lay their hands on the sick that they may be healed so we see this great commission that has been given so they were looking for easier soul winning because they wanted to take over the whole world so for many pagans transitioning to christianity was a significant culture and religious shift celebrating jesus birth on a familiar date made this transition smoother and provided for more effective soul winning you must understand festivals those days was like cinemas these days Mm. when you and all your friends go together for a festival or a party or a cinema and you go it's something traditionally it's something you do as a group it was very sociable it was like dogmatic they had to do it it's like you're going to the flea market or it was something that it was something that was done by everybody there so the christians said but listen if we're going to say they're not allowed to do that we know they're not allowed to worship other gods but we say they're not allowed to be there how are we are we ever going to influence this pagan world we're not going to be influential. So let's create, let, let us go. Let them be able to still go celebrate that day. But they no longer celebrate the God of Saturn. But they now celebrate uh, Jesus Christ and Jesus' birth. So they changed the intention and the celebration. Yet there could still be a social interaction and they can fully influence the world that they are put in. 100% I come from a Muslim world prophet. You see, this comments are way behind. Uh, so, easy soul winning. Why did the church adopt this pagan holiday? Easy soul winning. Number two, taking over more effectively and influencing society. I kind of like to touch on a little bit, but let me just uh, give you these points. Overwriting pagan traditions. Overwriting pagan traditions. By placing a Christian celebration on the same date as popular pagan festivals, the church aimed to overshadow and eventually replace these pagan practices with Christian worship. Uh, there's a spiritual significance over pagan rites. This means that the church sought to provide a Christian alternative that emphasized spiritual values over the more worldly aspects of pagan festivals. So they knew the pagans had bad 
models. And if they can come on the same festive day celebrating someone greater, but they come with greater models, greater significance, and there's a great, they can win people over because people will be able to say, okay, but this is what pagan is, this is what Christian is. It is, it is, it carries a greater spiritual significance. Point number three, it's a clear theological symbol. It symbolizes Jesus as the light of this world who came into this light. Uh, and it emphasizes salvation because with the winter solstice, there was a type of renewing that took place. So when we see with the birth of Christ, it is a type of renewing that takes place, which speaks of salvation. So it emphasizes a Christian doctrine, an essential Christian doctrine. Point number four, almost done. I'm just going to give you five points. Point number four, it brings unity to the church. And in the early church, it brought unity to the church. Why did it brought unity to the church? It brought a common date where they could celebrate the birth of Christ. So the whole early church knew that on that date, or even the persecuted church knew, on that date, even during the dark ages, on that date, we can celebrate the birth of Christ. It's one date. So it brought unity. Uh, we can even see right now how all over the world, on the 25th, the whole world is celebrating Christ and thinks about Jesus Tomorrow, when is it? Tomorrow. Tomorrow the whole world, today already in New Zealand and so on, is thinking and celebrating Jesus Christ and the birth of Christ. Yes, their intentions might be wrong, but they're celebrating this. Number five, the last one. It is a strategic growth point of the church or a strategic growth intention of the church. It was a great appeal to the Roman Empire it, Christianity became more palatable to the Roman populace, aiding the spread of Christianity throughout the whole empire. It caused an ease of adoption. It was easier for the Roman empire to adopt certain Christian values and to advance in the field. Think of technology. It was also easier for the Christians to adopt the advances of the Roman advances in their technology in those days into the Christian practices to spread the gospel those days. Think of technology today. Compare it to today. Many saw technology as the Antichrist, but now when the church adopted it in a ways that it doesn't violate scripture, it becomes a huge advantage, almost impossible to reach anyone without technology. So I'm closing off with this. I want to give you a conclusion. I want to close off with this. I want to give you a conclusion. We're going to pray for everyone. The decision to adopt December 25th was a pragmatic and a strategic choice that reflected the church's understanding of evangelism and church growth. It was part of a broader effort to Christianize existing social and cultural practical and practices and use them for the purpose of religious celebration and teaching without violating the principles of the Bible and without violating the commandments given to us. While this decision has been subject to various interpretations over time, its historical effectiveness in aiding the spread of the establishment of Christianity is notable, meaning we cannot deny, it's undeniable how Christmas has helped to spread the main idea of Christianity because the Roman Empire embraced it through the wisdom of the early church. So it is not about the 25th of December. We focus on the event rather the date. What is the main, main point to take away? Focus on the event. What is the event? The birth of Jesus Christ. What is the date? The 25th. Not the 25th, but the 25th. But we ignore the date. Focus on the event. Make this day not about the date. Make this day about the event. Mm. Jesus, who is God's gift to humanity honoring God 
for giving us his best. So what is the conclusion? As Christians, navigating Christmas, going through all these things, we have wisdom, we have grace, and a focus on what truly matters, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation. I want to read to you in closing one verse. One verse I want to read to you in closing. Let me see if I can find it somewhere. Maybe. uh, Yes. I want to read to you a verse in closing. This verse blew me away. I want everyone to listen to this. I want everybody to hear this verse. Maybe we can make a short out of it or a, 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 it's going to be a long verse, but cut out or something like that. Let me see how I can do this. Listen to this. Romans 14 verse 1 out of the Message Bible. I want you to read very specifically every word on the screen with me. Take a note every word on the screen with me. Listen to it in the Message version. For everybody that always attacks, and you can use this verse, sis, it's a couple of verses, to anybody that always criticizes, attacks. I see some of our people watching these YouTube channels of these guys that are just calling out false prophets and this and that and everybody's now a demon and a crystal is a demon and if you have a crystal in your phone, it's a demon and your phone is a demon. You, you don't even have to worry about the crystal. You are a demon on that phone. Forget about the crystal. Uh, okay, so, um, so uh, I want to read you this verse. Romans 14 verse 1. Listen to this. Listen to this. Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do and don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Mm. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been around for a while, might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table. Uh, That speaks of not just eating. While another with a different background might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't it be terribly rude if they fell to criticizing uh, what the other ate or didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business crossing people off the guest list or interfering with God's welcome. If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thing that each day is pretty much like any other. You know, like some people would say every day is Christmas day. Okay. Uh, There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of his conscience. What's important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God. And thank God for prime rib. If you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables of the glory for the glory of God. And thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It is God. It's God we are answerable to. All the way from life to death and everything in between. Not each other. That's why, I'm speaking of conscience sake now. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. 
so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the petty tyrannies of each other. So where does that leave you when you criticize your brother? And where does that leave you when you condescend your sister to a sister? I'd say it leaves you looking pretty silly. Or even worse, eventually we're all going to end up kneel, kneeling side by side in the place of judgment, facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position there one bit. Read it for yourself. The scripture says, as I live and breathe, God says, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess that I and only I am God. So tend to your own knitting. You've got your hands full. Just take care of your own life before God. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. Here's what you need to be concerned about. That you don't get in the way of someone else making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me, that everything as it in itself is holy. Oh, everything as it in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, we can contaminate it. Come on. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love or are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God, don't you dare let a piece of God blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. Don't you dare let a piece of a God-crafted tree become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's a matter of, of what God does with your life as He sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So I'll close there. It goes on and on and on and on, but I'll close there.